Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Tessa, and with me are my co-hosts, Andy. Hello. And Sam. Hello. It was my turn this week to assign Sam and Andy some monkey homework. And you know what that means, don't you, Andy? No, I, I don't. That means this is Monkey Off My Backlog, parentheses, Tessa's version. Uh-oh. Oh. Uh, we will abbreviate it in the exact same way. It'll be Monkey Off My Backlog TV, and half the people will think, oh, no, she's doing like a, a visual episode, and the other people will be like, no, that's just Tessa's version. It's just the initials. And we'll all be confused, and it'll go on for months, and then, if you're not careful, she'll have a 10-minute song about you. So really think hard about your choices in this episode. <laughs> or, you know, we finally have our own uh, app that's just us, recordings of us recording our episode on repeat. <laughs> there you go. So this week, Sam and Andy fight in a time war, do sexy android stuff, and deal with their vampire daddy issues. What's the third thing? Because the second, because sexy android stuff and vampires with daddy issues. That's one thing. That's right? one thing, right? That's yeah. One yeah. Thing, exactly. Right? Exactly. Is that Morbius? Oh, God. We're not talking about. Wait, is that why we do the time war? Because we're in the future and we've got Morbius now? We are not talking about Marvel today. I just want to throw that out there. But are we talking about Jared Leto? That's a Marvel character. <laughs> Jared Leto is not a Marvel character. He's basically a Marvel character. He's at this a human point. being. Well, he's a DC character. Too. Oh, gross. Yeah. All right. Let's just dive right in with one of my favorite sci-fi novels from the last couple of years, This Is How You Lose the Time War, by Max Gladstone and Amal El Motar. I forgot to put what date this book came out, but it came out within the last couple of years. 2019. 2018. It oh, came out close. in 2018. What is time? Time doesn't matter time? to this book. All right. So, very short summary of this Abstract and lyrical science fiction novel, two agents in a time war between rival futures, red and blue, become embroiled in a cat and mouse game, swapping letters as they travel throughout time. All right. So what were your first thoughts about this novel, Andy? I am not allowed to have any negative thoughts about this novel. So I will just say that it is a book. That was my... You can have... No, Tessa, Whatever thoughts you want about this novel, Andy. Tessa, Tessa, you you told me directly. You said I, that I one I cannot criticize it because it has won prestigious sci-fi awards, and that it has a rabid fan base. I these the, these are these are your these are your words here. Okay. I said that it won awards and has a rabid fan base. I did not say that you didn't have to say anything negative about it. Just so you know, listeners, I am not holding a gun to Andy's head right now. Tessa, listen, okay? I can't change what you said. I can only willfully misinterpret it. <laughs> what were your first thoughts of this novel, for good or ill? Okay, my, my first thoughts? Oh, wow, this is a really cool story structure. In what way? Tell us about the story structure. Okay, the story structure is essentially, um, the good parts are letters being sent between two people. And we, as the readers, are privy to the back and forths of those letters. Yeah, in some ways, this novel is an epistolary novel. 
a lot of the a lot of the main parts of the novel happen in these letters between red and blue they're being increasingly left in creative or they're being left in increasingly more creative ways for each other which i find hilarious the ways that they find to leave each other letters within these different time strands that they're both kind of having mm-hmm. what did you think about the structure of this novel sam well i think the structure is probably my my main complaint my only complaint really it is that okay so it's 200 pages long so it's fairly short that's cool and i like the letters at the end i like the epistolary format as 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 a good british romantic novel scholar person who has a graduate degree in that novels written in letter format are cool but i don't like i don't ever like being dropped in the middle of a story because uh, you know, I have to spend X amount of time orienting myself. When you put those two things together, it's like I'm 25% of the way through the book before I know what the hell is going on. No, once I got there, it's it's cool. And, you know, this kind of time travel narrative works with the idea of disorientation. I get it. But, you know, it's it's as a reader, it's a it's a it can be frustrating especially for somebody who tends to just glide along the surface and and read very quickly. I had to go, wait, hold on, go back. It's kind of like Wheel of Time for a completely different reason. Like, I'm like, wait, who's that? Wait, who's that? Like, things that slow me down bother me. I mean, it works, it's fine, it's good. But like I said, that's my only complaint is the structure. Interesting. I I, I will say, you you know, Sam, it's much easier when you realize this book is a a fantasy and not a sci-fi book. It isn't, but... We'll talk about that. But let, well, let, let's go ahead and dive right into the time travel stuff before we before we talk about the cat and mouse stuff, which I also really enjoy. Because th- that's really the two things that are going into this book. There's the time travel stuff, and then there's that like traditional spy versus spy, agent versus agent kind of structure as well. But let's talk about the time travel first, especially because I know Sam has a lot to say about time travel because Sam loves time travel, as has been established previously on this show i really appreciate and i'm curious to know what you guys think about the idea of a time war between two different futures that are mutually exclusive from each other so the future that red is from is like a cyberpunk people have left their bodies behind embrace technology type of future whereas the future that blue is from is like a garden shared consciousness, utopian view of the future. And both these futures want to survive, and so they are embroiled in a war with each other across time. So Andy, first, what did you think of the time travel and this sort of setup to this particular book? It's whatever. Look, this book is Doctor Who fan fiction, okay? I'm I'm just I'm just saying it. Okay, I thought the time travel was boring. I I didn't I didn't buy any of it or any of the reasons why. Uh, I I just wow just what this is fantasy this is this is not sci-fi this is fantasy there there's there's no there, there there there's no depth to this there's just philosophizing I hate to break it to you Andy but philosophizing is about 80% of what sci-fi is <laughs> Yeah yeah you you know okay so there's there's an idea that I I heard once that I really really liked that in in a a true, if there are truly infinite times, uh, timelines and 
infinite choices that you as a human being can say something out loud. And because you said that thing out loud, one of these infinite versions of you gets what you want. And because this one version of you gets what you want and is happy, there are infinite versions of you that are happy. That is a deeper thought than anything in this novel. This novel, like it's 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 not even like philosophizing. There there's no there's no reason beyond just oh you know we do this thing in the past because eventually you know we we don't we don't have to really talk about it but we'll just say oh eventually uh, this Atlantis doesn't sink and some people know things and that's and that and that's it like there there's no there, there there's no depth to this there's no following the time strain or why they they do things they just have to be vague and be like oh well you know we do this vague thing that we're not really going to talk about and uh this vague thing will happen and we don't really discuss why that's important at all you know if we're supposed to believe this time travel stuff it just doesn't make any sense why why this technology would have developed in the first place sam do you have any thoughts about the time travel and what andy has said what do you call a philosopher who wants to be employed a taxi driver a physicist. I feel like I just talked a couple of days ago about time travel, but I believe that conversation doesn't actually happen until the week before Christmas. But as I as I recall from the future, that conversation is based on the linear philosophy of time travel, not, you know, single loop versus quantum but both of our conceptions of those things tend to fit within a linear uh, concept of time travel, and there's a reason for that. So you take uh, this this theoretical line of physics that that Hawking tried to popularize as much as possible. A lot of this comes from, uh, at least as popularly explained by by Kip Thorne, you know, who worked with Nolan on Interstellar. But you know, Kip Thorne's also again a physicist, and and there's a whole cottage industry in physics about trying to make it understandable to mere mortals. The The big thing is, so we talk about, and you'll hear this in we, a couple of weeks, few weeks, I don't know, honestly, how long it'll be. The only uh, way time travel works is <laughs> podcasting. Right, so that that's a linear. Here's the non-linear idea of time travel, which is in and of itself concerned with, with, with quantum physics and, and some other stuff. The deal is... We are fourth dimensional beings because we operate in the in the concept of time. But we whatever dimension you operate in, you can only see the ones underneath it. So we can see first, second, and third dimensions. We cannot, even though we operate within it, we can't see fourth dimension. And so the way that physicists who deal with this particular theory talk about it is is the idea of a membrane. And so that that membrane can only be pierced by beings who operate in the next highest dimension. So if you've seen Interstellar, for example, the, the, the aliens at the end, who are really just more evolved versions of us, are called bulk beings because the, the bulk beings can see through the membrane, which is shorthanded as a, a brain, B-R-A-N-E. So the idea is that you can only operate, you can only see the dimensions below the one that you operate in. So anytime we talk about time travel or try to, we're going to fail because we can't understand 
the dimension we're operating in. So the best thing that we can do is try to explain time travel linearly as a line, which is a a second two-dimensional object. We try to create the illusion of third dimension through this kind of branching quantum idea of timeline time travel. But if we understood time travel, if we truly did, we wouldn't be fourth dimensional beings, we'd be fifth dimensional beings, and it would look completely incomprehensible to us. This is why the end of Interstellar, the last act, looks the way it does. The fourth dimensional object is the Tesseract, which is what that library in the black hole is. If you know all of that, and like I said, I got dropped in, it took me about a quarter of this book to figure out what the hell was going on. I said that already. But basically what this is, is red and blue are fifth dimensional beings operating in a time stream that they use the metaphor of braids within the book, right? That is not how they would see it if they were real, at least as far as we understand it. But the, the work of these two authors is trying to make it understandable in a way that makes sense and feels realistic, which is why perhaps at the end of the day, it doesn't feel sciency. It feels fantastic. But there's no way to explain the science. You know, a lot of people thought the end of Interstellar was hokey for the same reason. It was just an attempt to show what a tesseract would look like and what a bulk being would be like. So there you go. That's it. That's part one or two of my time travel. I don't know. I guess it's part two, but it comes out first. I feel like this is like the best example of time travel in Monkey Off My Backlog. The time travel, the two parts of the time travel conversation the second part happening before the first part, which will happen in Days of Future Past, part of our X-Men miniseries. You can't say that. If you say it, we'll change the time stream and it won't happen. <laughs> when you observe it, it doesn't Come happen. Come on, man. And listeners, if you splice these together, Sam will do something. I don't know what, but he will do something uh, that is vaguely humiliating, but also rewarding to you, the readers, the listeners, whatever you want to call it. It does. It doesn't matter. I will say very, very quickly that you know. So of course, a brief history of time. There's an updated version that really talks a little bit more about this. But the easiest, most accessible, and by easy and accessible, I mean good luck, is um, the the book that Kip Thorne put out called "The Science of Interstellar," where he tries to distill all of this into a an explainer for the film. It's kind of successful at both, but it's primarily good as an entryway into into thinking about this. But again, good luck. My brain broke. B-R-A-I-N almost broke when I read this the first time. So two things. I think it's really funny that, Sam, that you say that like it took you a quarter of the book to figuring out what's wrong. Because usually the complaint with science fiction books is that the first quarter of the book is too talky and explainy. So I find that hilarious. But also, I noticed I'm seeing Slaughterhouse-Five on your notes. Mm. This book, to me, when I read it, I tried to understand the time travel for about the first quarter of the book. Then I was like, oh, no, this is like Slaughterhouse-Five. Like, the point is, is that we can't understand it. So I'm just going to, like, relax into what this book is and not try to understand the time travel. And for me, that, that resulted in a much better reading experience. But let's talk about the cat and mouse stuff, which is honestly my favorite part of this book is the relationship between red and blue. And it really reminds me, I wrote this in a review that I think it to do another time travel is going to come out two days from when this episode comes out. This reminds me of the relationship between Crowley and Aziraphale from 
good omens in the book where it describes them as like two agents for opposite sides that suddenly realize that they're closer to each other than they are to their respective governments because they both understand what they're doing, the boots on the ground aspect of it better than their superiors do. And of course there is also without giving too much away, there are like overlays of like this growing friendship and like this sort of queerness throughout the book as well. Andy, what did you think of the relationship between Red and Blue and sort of this cat and mouse storyline? All right. So first of all, it's it's not lost to me that that they're, the names they use are Red and Blue, you know, uh, attacking team and defending team. Second of all, I don't know. I just didn't buy any of it. I did never bought that, that they were ever in any danger. I never bought that there was any kind of romance between these two. They, they're supposed to be these evolved future versions of whatever life, but they're the words are just so stupidly flowery and and weird and language doesn't uh, evolve like this over time it it gets simpler then then you add the the thing the thing that really just destroyed me i forgot which one mentions it because they both kind of sound the same the uh they, they mention uh oh uh the hidden messages the sense in our messaging you know it's so much cooler than just simple words it's uh it's so much more interesting than cryptography. And I was like, okay, why not just say the word that what that's called? And and the conclusion I came to is like, okay, well, the, the letter writer doesn't know what steganography is. Because that's what steganography is, is hitting is hidden meetings within other things that oh, aren't things. Right. And then it comes up several times. So it's like, wait a minute. They're 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 using all these really beautiful poetic phrases. And and they don't bother using the word that it's this for. It's like it just, I just have you didn't never forgotten bother. a word, Andy? <laughs> Not when you have like thirty or forty years to write a letter. Well, now that we've established that Andy has no romance in his soul, Sam, what did you think of the cat and mouse letter writing? Actually, I have something for this. The you know the cat and mouse thing is fine. It's always fine. But the romance thing. I want. Can I talk about that? Can I talk? Okay. Uh, I mean, of course, first of all, this is definitely operating within that tradition of cat and mouse love stories, right? What if the spy and the other spy in Mad Magazine actually loved each other, right? It's, it's what if. But, um, okay, so there are two things here. Two, two little cultural reference. Going back to Interstellar really fast. I only know this because I have notes. Whereas in the next segment, I'm going to go note-free, so it's going to be weird. I had this little note pinned at the end of my whole discussion of this Interstellar and this... This, this theory of time travel about Anne Hathaway's character, Dr. Amelia Brand. And she has this line in the movie that love transcends dimensions of time and space. And it's like, oh, come on. Well, I mean, that's kind of the point of this novel, right? And so I have this, I have this little note at the bottom, right? Because fourth dimension is, is time. But because we can't see or conceive of the fifth dimension, as I mentioned earlier, we have no idea what the paradigm of fifth dimension is but i think i have an idea the fifth dimension is love okay andy second second why are the letters written like this why is it this way because it's proust it's remembrance of things past because the og time travel dude was french malaised in bed super whiny cookie eaten Marcel Proust, <laughs> who time travels via sense making. Kaboom! That's what this book is. I just realized that. I was about to say, did 
thanks, Andy. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Andy. You helped. I don't even know any of the references you just made. Because I think that the poetics of this book are so important to understanding why this book is so great, I am going to read you a couple of my favorite quotes before I ask you both what your ending thoughts are. My favorite quotes from this book are, Books are letters in bottles cast into the waves of time from one person trying to save the world to another. Sometimes when you write, you say things I stopped myself from saying. I want to meet you in every place I ever loved. Listen to me. I am your echo. I would rather break the world than lose you. Those are my like three absolute favorite quotes from this book. I love this book unabashedly, which is why I made you all read it. But I understand that this type of book is not everybody's cup of tea. It is a very specific style. It is a very specific gimmick in a lot of ways. But what are your what are your ending thoughts about this experience, Andy? Okay, if these two futures are mutually exclusive, okay, that, that these two things in the time war, they are mutually exclusive, then how come they have the exact same terminologies for the braids, right? They're these they have the exact same terminology and they're mutually exclusive to the point where the people in them know nothing about the others in them, right? So so why do they have the same exact terminologies? I it just doesn't make any sense like i said it's doctor who fan fiction it's it's the equivalent of 50 shades of gray but with doctor who uh just as far as the origin stories you know from twilight to 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 this like it's 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 just whatever this is this is this is doctor who time travel at all andy this is (laughs) this is is not how time travel works with doctor who look i'm just gonna say it doesn't surprise me at all that somebody who loves this also loves star trek fair what did you think sam Final recommendation. Wow. Who would like this? I, I just got shook so hard by Andy, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, no, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold I take on. the Star Trek thing as a compliment. Yeah, so. well, yeah. I Okay, so, I mean, the thing about it is is that, that I like what they're doing better than maybe how they do it. I, I think maybe that's the thing. Like, big ups for doing this, but I liked it because I recognized what they were trying to do not necessarily because it's the best book I've read this year, which is fine. I mean, that's okay. Just remember that this time travel system doesn't work the way that you say, Andy, because if it truly doesn't work, that's fine. We could never really see how this would work anyway. We don't have the ability to access that, which is probably why anyone who tries fails. That's why Interstellar doesn't look good. I mean, it looks good, but it's like, eh. Hey, I mean, Sam? that's kind of the whole point. We wouldn't be able to know. Sam? Yeah? That, 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 is, that is a type of logical fallacy. You, you realize that, that you are now on the same page as creationists, young nope. earth creationists. Nope. Yeah, well, we, we, can, nope. we can't understand evolution, so uh, thus it must never, you know, it, we wouldn't be able to understand it anyway. No, we, we can understand evolution because it operates in the third dimensional idea of time and a linear progression. Because we're fourth dimensional beings operating in the third dimension, anyone who can't see that is stupid, foolish, idiotic, ignorant, mm-hmm. bad at science, mm-hmm. should not be in charge of anything mm-hmm. next to or related to mm-hmm. science. Mm-hmm. This is different. Mm-hmm. Also, nobody's asking you to believe in time travel, Andy. It's not that I believe in it. I just don't care. And that's fair. That is completely fair. For those of you who are perhaps going, huh, they did not have a great reaction to this book, I will just say, queer time travelers, 
That's all. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Wait, you you, you know you know what uh, would actually have made this book better for me, and this is not a snarky thing. This is this is a genuine like this would have changed things between the the letters. There's all this prose from you know a narrator or a third person or, or whatever. It's not from the perspective of the letters. I would have rather had all that cut out and just have just the letters back and forth. I mean, and that's fair. That's fair. I will also say that Max Gladstone wrote one of my favorite short stories recently. It's called. Well, no, actually, I'll get to that later. We'll just cut that out because that actually has to do with Castlevania. Oh. Um, Ooh, the Belmonts time travel. <laughs> there, surprisingly, there is some time travel oh, in Castlevania. Anyway, we're just going to dive straight into segment two because my our, our game segment it has more to do with our last property that we're going to talk about than this property. So we're just going to go straight from this is how you lose the time war to one of my absolute favorite musical visual experiences more science fiction believe it or not i know that shocks everyone who's ever met me but we're going to talk about janelle monet's third studio album dirty computer but we're not going to talk about the album we're going to talk about the accompanying 46 minute the emotion picture janelle monet really really loves to release what she calls emotion pictures along with her albums they're usually more like music videos so this was a really interesting attempt to create a short film around this particular album however it's not the first time that janelle monet has done science fiction most of her albums until dirty computer were performed under an alias uh, cindy mayweather who was a time traveling android from kansas city I mean, that's literally the gimmick that she did. Electric Lady, Arch Android, uh, the Metropolis EP, because Janelle Monáe is obsessed with Metropolis. Those are all performed under like this Android persona. Now, this particular album and a motion picture takes a little bit of a different path. Instead of doing the Cindy Mayweather persona, she takes on the persona of Jane. So the point of this emotion picture, it's a short album or short film visual album that creates a narrative out of the songs on the album. It's a dystopian future where people are machines or computers that can be cleaned, which means that they are corrected in certain medical procedures to fit an ideal. And within this context, Jane, played by Janelle Monet, explores her blackness and her queer polyamory outside of this dystopian ideal, which is white, straight, religious, etc. So Dirty Computer is a pop, funk, hip-hop, R&B, neo-soul record. It has electro-pop, space rock, pop rock, Minneapolis soul, trap, future pop, any kind of like black music that you could possibly name. It is in this album. There were four singles on the album, Make Me Feel, Django Jane, Pink, and I Like That. Yeah, so we'll talk about the album itself, but just like that's sort of the context. I have written a lot about this particular album in the context of my dissertation. It's very important to me. I've probably seen this emotion picture like several dozen times. Dirty Computer is, I think, one of her best albums, although I do really love Electric Lady as well. Let's talk about your first impressions of this visual album. Andy, what is your experience with visual albums and what was your first impression of this one? So Tessa, I, I hate that you're the one who did this to me. When, when I did the Andy Assigns, I made predictions for how both of you would react. And I made predictions for how Sam would react. And that Sam did not react at all like I had predicted was awesome and fascinating to me. But then 
the fact that you're the one who make who is making me react as I thought Sam would react to mine is extra vexing. So here, here's the thing. I don't like music videos. 99% of them I, I don't enjoy. If I want to listen to a song, I want to listen to it and I want to interpret it on my own. Visual novels aren't for me or visual albums aren't for me. Visual novels. Oh, I got oh. you. <laughs> I got you on that. Okay. They're they're just not for me. So my first impression going in is this was going to be artsy, pretty looking stuff with decent music. And yeah. Is that what it was for you? No, I really, really liked it. Oh, good. Oh, I'm hey, happy. We did good. It. good. All right. We'll talk more about what you like it in a second. But first, Sam, I know you have a whole oh. thing lined up for visual albums. Let's talk visual albums. Hey, Andy. Do you remember there's an episode of Boston Legal? Mm-hmm. Where Alan Shore, where somebody's making the argument, like an argument, and they're about to turn it over to him. And like a whole minute before, he's like stretching, like just getting ready, limbering up. And then as soon as it goes to him, he like points and just launches in to a typical Alan Shore, but like with extra gusto. Do you remember that? Yes. That is my favorite moment from that show. I wonder why you're bringing it up. Well, it's, it's now time for that podcast within a podcast. Sam launches in to a big thing about music because somebody gave him the opportunity to do that. And every so often, he's going to pause awkwardly to see if anybody has anything to say. And when they don't, plows right on ahead and begins to feel more awkward and awkward about it, but stays the course until he gets to the end because, damn it, that's what I wanted to say. We need to workshop the title. Okay. That's a really long podcast title. I don't think they're going to go for it. Okay. So... Yeah, I don't think Apple's going to be okay with that. I mean, even if we take the expletive out. All right, so visual albums. What is the first visual album? Well, that depends on if you know what the word visual album means, which people do not. Did anyone ask you for a history? <laughs> well, you're going to get it. Okay. <clears throat> I did, and this is my episode. This did is you ask? Version. Did you ask? Okay. I just want everyone to know that Sam actually did check with me beforehand on what he could and could not talk about. And I said, go for it. I want to hear everything. So this is Tessa's version, baby. Just wait till we get the Castlevania segment and I tell you about how I replayed Castlevania for the first time last night and had like PTSD. (laughs) Anyway, so if you Google best visual album, you will come up with one of two answers. The, the, the answer that is obviously incorrect because it is not a visual album is The Beatles' A Hard Day's Night. The Beatles' A Hard Day's Night is, hey, we have music and we want these boys on the motion picture so we can make money that way. So write plot, do songs, make money. They try it again with help, which is pretty successful. They don't want to do it again, so they just animate it, call it Yellow Submarine, blah, 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 blah. Whatever. Eventually, they're like, eh, we don't want to, you could just follow us around with a camera if you want. And that turned out the way it turned out, except this Thanksgiving, we actually get to see some of that footage put together by Peter Jackson, which is going to be super cool. The point is, none of this is a visual album. However, we will eventually get to visual albums because of that. One of the reasons is the Americans who thought, you know what we could do? What if we created a clone of the Beatles and make money that way? That was called The Monkees, which of course was a TV show where they had a TV show and there was like a segment called a romp or a performance that is the early music video as we know it. Now this comes through in the 70s. They do the Partridge Family TV show, which is pretty much the same thing. 
<sighs> Another visual album that people like to say is visual album that is maybe a visual album is Pink Floyd's The Wall. This is the example of the rock opera, where you write the album as a concept album and basically film it as that. I'm okay with that, I guess. We then, but of course you carry this line through, you get things like Prince's Purple Rain, not a visual album, just a, you know, a, a, a good rock movie. Like those are really great, but they're not visual albums. If you want to say that a visual album is just a long music video, here's why that's kind of true, but maybe not. Okay. This is the actual history of the music video and how it becomes to be what we know it is today. There was a show. Uh, it actually aired on Nickelodeon for one season called Pop Clips. Pop Clips was basically a show where they showed music videos. And in between the music videos, a video jockey or VJ came on and talked about it. Somebody, I, I believe it's a consortium that's partially owned by Time Warner at this point, think it's a great idea and buy it out and eventually turn it into its own network called MTV. Tessa, you know who came up with Pop Clips? Do you know who the creator of Pop Clips is? No. The person who claims to be the creator of the music video format as we know it... I do. ...is none other than mm -hmm. one of the early music video folks that I've already mentioned, mm -hmm. the guy with the wool hat, Michael Nesmith. Wait, really? I thought yes. it was Howie Mandel. Nope. Mike Nesmith did not create the first music video. He may have been in one of the first ones, but he, he credits uh, a, a video from a 76 song that he has called Rio because it is the first video that really is not based on like a, like a plot or like something that is completely disconnected for him. It was a video that had something to do with the song. Like it was, it was creating the, recreating the song in a different medium. And that's why Michael Nesmith actually created the visual album, if not the music video. You see, good times. He also, by the way, created another concept that didn't go so well. There's one called The Prison and the other one's called The Garden. They're both albums. I believe they're mostly instrumental, if not completely instrumental, that came with basically a book. And you're supposed to read the book while you listen to the music. So he tried it like a separate way. But actually... <laughs> This business of taking an entire album and making a music video of it started with the band Blondie. Their 1979 album, Eat to the Beat, was the first album to have an entire album's worth of music videos. Now, these were promotional. They weren't meant for release or consumption in any other way. It was like, hey, Debbie Harry's hot. Let's shoot her singing all the songs and in various hijinks with the band nominally in the video and, and turn that into a thing. A little artist you may have heard of that I care much more about called Olivia Newton-John got this idea, or actually her producer, John Farrow, did uh, the idea that you could make what they did, but you could make it for popular cons uh, consumption and interconnect the videos. Now, this is before MTV, so the whole thing about it is where are you going to do, what are you going to do with it? Where are you going to put it? There's no MTV to put things on yet. I mean, there isn't now, but it was also true back then. That's why the Blondie thing is not a visual album. It was just meant for special people to see. Olivia Newton-John's physical was a one-hour special on ABC. I used to have a VHS copy of it. I wore it out. My mom recorded over it. I'm not over it. So there. But anyway, so this is, this is where you get where you get. Okay. This is all you know. Everything you need to know about the visual album, except 
around 1997, Radiohead wanted to do this with OK Computer, which I think is very, very punny. OK Computer, not the dirty kind, the OK kind, right? (laughs) But they didn't. They gave up because they were not in it to win it which is really all you need to know about Radiohead. They, they kind of want to do a thing, but they're not committed. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unlike Janelle Monae. You heard me say it. Committed. You heard me say it. She's they're quitters. Committed. Quitters. Radiohead are quitters. Why do you hire somebody? Why do you have somebody in your band who is like, can just go full Neil Young and do like a 17-minute guitar solo, and you have him pushing buttons? You go, to a, you go to a Radiohead show and Ed O'Brien is like on his knees doing bleeps and bloops instead of just ripping off a crazy horse air guitar solo. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is Lemonade. All of, right. On what? Episode, episode three? three? Yeah. Hey, I remember that. It's episode four. Whatever. It's the first episode we had with a guest. That's right. It is Steve the first me. episode where I had an AV meltdown because Skype is a terrorist. <laughs> Anyway, all of these disparate threads get connected when Beyonce does Lemonade, which is really the dyed in the wool real first visual album. Tessa talked about it. You can go back and listen to it. You know, ever since, you know, she's done another one, uh, Black as King, which is on Disney Plus. Uh, Little Sister Solange got into the fun. Frank Ocean has done Endless. What's really interesting about this is the visual album is one of the primary forms for black musicians to really talk about their music. And I wonder if that doesn't have something to do with how often it's undervalued compared to maybe its white counterpart. And this goes all the way back to uh, when black groups would do a song and then the white groups would redo it, put it on the radio and make money. You know, the idea that the music that folks like Beyonce and Frank Ocean and Janelle Monae are making cannot just be appreciated in music form. And you know, if you've really been paying attention, you're probably screaming, I left one person out. I didn't. I was kind of saving them for last. Michael Jackson. What about Daft Punk? Don't care about Daft Punk. Don't care about Animal Collective. They do a thing. They do it well. Cool. That's, I mean, yeah, I, I, I fundamentally don't care about either one of them, but I do recognize that they did do that. They did do visual novel, visual album in 2003. Yeah. Right. You're right. Right. So Michael Jackson. Is, is like all over this video music format from the very beginning. Wanted to do, because the big thing when MTV first came out, I think it was in 81, they didn't have a whole lot of videos yet. They used a lot of live clips. There were early adopters like Olivia Newton-John. But Michael Jackson was the first one who said, you know what I could do? I could do something completely different. So he hires John Landis, movie director, film director, and creates the Thriller video, which... If you've seen the All Too Well Taylor's version, I said to Tessa, I bet you this video will be longer than 10 minutes because she will do the same thing Michael Jackson and John Landis did, which is splice the song and have things happen between it. And I was right. Also need to note that John Landis is a murderer. Sure. That's the one you want to talk about the bad thing. Okay, cool. I was just going to try and breeze past that. Thank you. (laughs) Anyway, as we move through the 80s, Michael Jackson isn't done yet. He actually tries two more things, one of which is called Captain EO, which is a 3D visual music experience at Epcot Center, which I thought was awesome as a child, (laughs) and Moonwalker, which is a short film 
probably a little uh, probably a little shorter than emotion. But and the video idea game is, for the Sega Genesis. Yes, and it was turned into a game for the Sega Genesis. But yeah, Moonwalker is a story that is told through song with added visuals for context, which is really what a visual album is. I guess I'm done now. I think that's it. Class dismissed, I guess? I don't know. But do you like visual albums? You didn't actually answer that question. What do you want me to say? <laughs> do you want me to say no? I don't know. What? What? No, I, 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 I don't want you like to say it. no. It's like it's like, and, and for the record, I don't like time travel either. What? Of course I do. <laughs> this one was good. All right, let's let's divide this down. Let's talk about actually talking about dirty computer. Let's divide this out. Let's first, actually, you know what? I'm gonna swap what I have here. Let's talk about the story first. So, the story is very science fictiony. It's very like there's a dystopian government, and we sort of get these like. It's very eternal sunshine of the spotless mind at the beginning because they've like already captured her and they're like altering her memories and erasing things. And the memories are these like short little music videos that show like different aspects of her life. So let's talk about that first. Andy, what did you think of the story that was being told here? I mean, the the, the story is honestly, it's pretty basic. It's not trying to be too too deep there's there's things about like oh uh government trying to reprogram black people uh or society itself trying to reprogram black people to keep them down um and queer people and poly people right 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 they're they're they're, i mean it's just minorities in general right uh just any kind of any kind of difference from from yeah uh so great wonderful i mean I, i i thought it was pretty good i liked the little thing at the end i i I was genuinely surprised by the ending. I'm the not going to spoil it. Scene. Yeah. yeah, I liked I liked Janelle Monet. I liked Tessa Thompson. Yeah, Tessa Thompson and Jason Aaron play Zen and Che, who are like her two lovers. But I feel like there's a lot more time spent on Tessa Thompson's. Oh, well, Zen. Yeah. yeah. I, I liked how each each music video was not only an aspect of of uh, her personality and who she is. It's also an aspect of musical culture. I, I didn't realize that one of them was a Prince song. I had to be told it was a Prince song. Uh, there's another one that's a, a, a hip-hop biggie thing, which I, I, I love. That was my favorite song in the entire thing. Um, I thought it was cool. I thought it was really cool. And there's a Michael Jackson nod. There's, there's lots of nods. Lots of nods. Yeah, Janelle Monet is also a science fiction nerd. So there's a ton of science fiction references in there. Did you notice any as you were watching through? It was all Logan's run. It was all Logan's run. I just, you know, you know, everything about this was Logan's run. There, there was, you, you know, I don't, I don't actually think she's a science fiction nerd. I, 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 I think, I think it was just a Logan's run nerd. Uh, everything was Logan's run. Way to gatekeep, Andy. Okay. Yeah. Way to uh, by, the by the way, hold on. I was informed by uh, Sarah that Janelle Monae is also a uh, moderator on the Reddit uh, subreddit uh, Popheads. So just just wanted, wanted to put that yeah. out there. Yeah, there like Ziggy Stardust was here somewhere in the background. God, there's there's so much sci-fi in it. There is. Sam, do you want to talk about the story and the sci-fi references and the music references? I guess we're just talking about all of it at the same time. Well, I just I just wanted to say, Andy, somebody had to tell you there was a Prince thing in there. Like she came out dressed like Prince, playing a guitar like Prince, and there were hey. like people dancing behind her hey. in Hey. Albeit Sam? not raspberry berets, purple berets. Come on, man. Sam. Come on. Sam. Come on. Ask a- ask me a Come question. On. Ask me a question. When have I heard a Prince song? Ask me that question. I'm kind of scared of the answer. 
ask me the only time I have listened to a Prince song. You know, that really is the impression that I get about you. No, no. Ask, ask that. When is the only time you've heard a Prince song? At karaoke with you. Not for you, for us. They just high fived. For the for 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 the people who are not on our uh, monkey monkey TV, the uh, TV channel on Tubi. I guess this is the time to point out that if you want to access our um, our video recordings, you should subscribe to our Patreon. And <laughs> when that happens, because it will happen in the future, as soon as somebody wants to subscribe to it, <laughs> somebody who's not our mothers. I just feel like if you've been listening to this long enough, you know what the sound of Tessa and me high-fiving is. And if you've spent any time around us, you know what the sight of it is, and you look away. And that's okay. We're not cool about it. Okay. So what do I think? I'll actually be very, very... It'll be shorter than what that just was. I asked you about this movie, and it it just completely had nothing to do with this. And then I realized, it actually kind of reminds me of The Island. (laughs) But but no, I mean, it does, and I'm ashamed to say that, but what I'm not ashamed to say it reminds me of is the student film turned into a feature release by a certain dude who made a certain movie, which was only good because everyone saved him from himself, hired out two more directors to do the original set of movies, then did the next three movies by himself, and that was a trash fire, and then asked the wrong person to do it after he sold out. And, of course, talking about George Lucas's THX 1138. Yeah, that is definitely a reference that I got very clearly in this this film. There's also a lot of references to Metropolis, which we know is Janelle Monae's, one of her favorite films. I also talked about Metropolis on this podcast. The hat she wears is a reference to Yodorowsky's The Holy Mountain and there's also a lot of total recall in this as well, I think. What did you think of the music? Which the song that Andy's referring to is Make Me Feel. That's the one that Prince produced. And she collaborated with Prince a lot. Prince was really a mentor to her. You can actually hear him featured on a song in Electric Lady. So not on streaming. Not on streaming. You have to actually buy physical media to hear that song because of Prince copyright music stuff. Music legal stuff. I don't know. But like... This that song to me evokes Prince in a way that I don't think I've ever seen another artist do. I love that song, like unironically. I think it's great. But music, Sam. Which um which which film has more nudity? The original Arnold Schwarzenegger version of Total Recall or this? She said it has a lot to do with Total Recall. That's definitely one of the things. I feel like I've already gone on one music thing, which is usually one music thing too many for this podcast. But I mean, I like this. I I have struggled to like Janelle Monet since The Arch Android, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like I've always wanted to like her, but I haven't been in a place. It's really on me to like really dig her. I love her as an actor, right? I mean, Moonlight, I mean, Hidden Figures kind of sucked, but she was good. I really like her. I, there was a time where I was like, oh, man, I really wish she would just like focus on the acting because I, I think she's great at it. This album, of course, proved me wrong. She should continue to do both. Be a hyphenate. Do it. Get into the MCU. Get into the DCEU. Save them from themselves. Create your own cinematic universe out of things. I don't know. Out of references to Logan's run. 
Somebody once said that she should be the next Bond because she could play both the Bond. She could play Bond, <laughs> the Bond villain, and the Bond girl. And like, you know what? I'd watch that. I would watch the butt off of that. Speaking of watching the butt off of things, I think she would also be really good in the role of like the Bond villain's familiar. Like a cat? Did you get? I yeah, see. Okay. See what I did right. there? See I what I did? No, James Corden. No, James Gordon. I, under- I understand. No. Okay, the last thing that I want to talk about when it comes to Dirty Computer, this has also been really celebrated because it has so many, so many songs about this aren't just about, like you said, Andy, being reprogrammed, being shut out of, of things because of blackness, because of queerness, because of the way that her relationship is structured. A lot of these songs are just pure black queer joy. Like it's about being really happy in her body, in her relationships. Uh, What did you think about the way that those themes were introduced in this? I think there's only one song in this. And again, this is coming from a white dude. So just please don't like, like every other song I feel like is just celebrating joy. The one song I think is celebrating blackness is the Django Jane, which again is the absolute best song and best visuals. I was going to ask you what your favorite song was. So I'm glad you said that. But everything else is I like I believe I think it it leans more heavily into queer joy and a kind of just punk you know uh, it doesn't matter what you are you should just be happy and, and it, it's actually like it really makes me emotional um I like because I, I I really enjoy it and I really related to it the Django Jane was the one that it was the the blackness that I couldn't relate to but I got the emotions and it just oh it it hit me in a very specific way and I loved it. I, it's so, so good. Sam, what was your favorite song? You know this already, don't you? You don't know? Well, save the podcast. For the oh, listeners. Guess. Guess. No. Guess, Fine, guess Tessa. Um, Guessa. Screwed Turn is into clearly Guessa. the best song on the album. Clearly. Clearly. Without a doubt. <laughs> clearly. And that, of course, features Zoe Kravitz as well, which right. I thought was Catwoman really herself? Catwoman Indeed. herself. Indeed. Yeah, I, I love this I love this. Also, I just want to shout out to everybody who's pansexual or bisexual there. Janelle Monet, who is pansexual, has my favorite coming out moment on Twitter ever. I can't say uh, it because right. we'd have to bleep it out, but it is the best way to describe being pansexual that I have ever heard. Let's move on to the third thing that I had you all do this week. I had you all watch the first season of Castlevania. So Castlevania is an American animated dark fantasy action streaming series on Netflix. It is based on the Japanese video game series of the same name by Konami. And it follows the adventures of Trevor Belmont, Alucard, and Saifa Belnades as they defend the nation of Wallachia from Dracula and his minions. First of all, I have to say, I love this show and we'll probably talk about that, but I have never played the video game. So, I wanted to ask both of you what your familiarity was with the video games prior to watching this. I have played Symphony of the Night, one of the greatest uh, Castlevania games ever made. I have also played a demo of Lords of Darkness, or whatever it was, which features um, oh, Richard Carlyle himself, or what's his name? Car- Carlisle's his last name. The 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 voice actor from uh, Once Upon a Time. He played Rumpelstiltskin. Um, I just know Carlisle. He's also a Bond villain. Yes, I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yes, yes. Uh, as as the voice of the main character. So I have played those two 
right? A demo and uh, the classic game that actually started the entire genre or it makes up the Vania part of the Metroidvania game. Sam? I'll be really quick about this. I played the original, the original Castlevania game. It's one of the first games I had. Oh, man. I've also played Castlevania 2, which I believe is called Simon's Quest. The original Castlevania game just haunts me to this day. So I replayed it last night so Tessa could see it. Here's what I can tell you. I swear a lot more than I did when I was like, what, eight, nine years old. But I get angry at that game as often. I, I can rank the, the bonus items. The, the watch is clearly the worst, followed by the dagger, the holy water, and everybody knows the axe is really the apex of the special weapons. <laughs> I did one run through. I need you to know I have never finished this game in my entire life. I think I got to Dracula once. Um, I, can, I could usually reliably get to death. Um, this time, Most people having, did not finish that game. Yeah, having not played it for a solid at least two decades, closer to three, honestly. Uh, I played it through one time. I beat the bat. I beat the Medusa. I did not get to the mummy. Eh, it was, it's, it's painful, man. It hurts. It it's hurts. Not a, it's not a well-designed game. I love it so much, though. You love it, but it hurts you. Yeah. So the show is really interesting to me because, and you know I love vampires, which is one of the reasons I had you watch this show. Anyone who knows me also knows I love vampires, and I thought I'd give you a break from the science fiction. So the beginning of the show literally is Dracula falls in love with a human lady, and they get married, and then 20 years later, she is burned at the stake as a witch, and... Dracula decides that's it. Humans are done. So this is sort of a revenge narrative. I do think it's interesting because this show is, this season is four half hour-ish episodes, unlike later seasons, which are usually like between 10, 11 episodes. And part of that is that Warren Ellis, who designed the show, basically said, I write, I only need as many episodes as the story requires, which I honestly think more TV writers should adopt that. But he basically said the first season is, here is the proof of concept, here are the characters. Like, this is why you should love this show. So what do you all think about the story and structure of the first season? It was infuriating. (laughs) Yeah? Because you wanted more? Exactly. Exactly. I, I... I remember I watched the season the first time, the first year it came out. I was excited and so angry, so angry that th- that there was not more of this. That this was just an hour watch, and then and then a okay, the gang's together now. Now the fun can start. This is so clearly Act One, um, and I, I I mean I I get why I'm not I'm not upset because it was definitely a risk for Netflix to take to invest in animating. A video game story so yeah 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 just just phenomenal F- phenomenal build-up i tessa because of you because I, I had not seen season two season three season four because of you now you this re- rewatch reminded me like oh yeah i need to go back and and watch these and sarah too so yeah i i also think because i also had a similar experience i actually watched this in an airport uh like i was just we were like had a layover we had a layover 
We had a layover in Chicago, which is like the most commonplace sentence I've ever said about that airport is that I've never left on time from that airport. But yeah, I was just like, huh, I'll watch this. And like two hours later or an hour later, I was like, oh, that's it. That's all that there is. But I'm like so invested in it. Like I was like ready for the next season to come out. And I think it's funny that you said that because you don't you have a column that's called under 100 about properties that are under 100 minutes, Andy? Yes, but they're properties that tell a full story in under 100 minutes. I see. I see. This is an origin story. It is an origin the... story. Yeah, it is a whole story. It's the origin story of how these three people became a posse of people who do stuff, I guess. I, I mean, it's just, that's it. And what were their character arcs? Um, well, there's the one dude who, like, you know, swore What's he was going to love somebody forever. SpongeBob SquarePants. JPEG. Yeah. 20 years later she dies. There's the there's the the poor little rich boy who who does the quips and and has some sort of tragic backstory but he's pushing through. And then there's the the girl who's from like the the Romani monk culture who was turned to stone and she's really like the chosen one from her group of people. And and yeah, so they, no, they have all these archetypal arcs that I'm very familiar with, so you can shorthand them for me because that's how pop culture works. I mean, the other way that it works is you give me 17 episodes that are an hour long and I want to die. Thanks, so CW. I mean, so yeah, so I get I get the I get the I get enough backstory to understand their motivations, the arc to them getting together, and now they're gonna go do stuff. And that is the typical series one arc or movie one arc now so i mean like yeah i think it's exactly what it is what did you all think of the setup of this story the 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 world building because that's really what this is is that warren ellis said i can sell you on these characters i can sell you on this world i can create this believable universe of wallachia in four episodes i think the world building is fantastic what do you think andy yes 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 it is very Um, dark and very violent but fantastic as as somebody who is a a an, an a, a weeb, I I love anime. Um, I will say there are series that have done this better, weirdly, but ninety nine percent of them do this so much worse, so so much worse. Sam, since this was your first time watching it, what did you think of the world building of Wallachia and sort of the the tension between like the church and the monster aspects? As somebody who doesn't care about anime and has been subjected to multiple of them lately, I don't I don't care. I don't care about the anime. I don't care about the art. I don't care about any of that. But, you know, the thing that this and Odd Taxi do have in common is that they're just good. They're not good because they're anime. They might be. I don't know. I'm not invested in that. They're good because they're good. That's 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 how I feel about that. Why is hey. it good? Sam. I, I'll tell you. Okay. We already talked about Odd Taxi. Listen to that episode. I'll tell you why Castlevania is good. What? Anime is good because it's good. No. Odd Taxi and Castlevania are good because they are good. Right. Right. And that, that's what I'm saying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not saying that anime in general is good. I'm saying that the animes that are good are good because they're good. They don't have anything to do with how anime they are. Right. Well, I think what it comes down to in the end is like you say time travel, I'm gonna be like, ooh, I'm gonna give that a chance. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I think that's probably, I mean, we all have our things that, you know, like when somebody says they're going to do that thing, I'm more likely to invest in it. It's good because it's good. But, you know, frankly, the reason I hadn't watched Castlevania, it's an anime and I don't care about anime. That's like a barrier for me. And I need to get over mm-hmm. that. And whatever. But last week, when you did your segment, Andy, you said the words that no one should have to hear in this day and age. Like, this is a figment, a fragment, a waking nightmare of the past. You just need to watch the first couple, the first three, four episodes, maybe just the whole first season before it gets good. Four episodes, 23 minutes each. I know if the show is or is not good. That's good. It is not a 10-hour movie. You, you bastards. It is not. I hate you. You know that meme on Twitter? If you're being kidnapped, what is the one phrase that you could say that people would know you've been kidnapped? My favorite response to that is, I see it really more as a 10-hour movie. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's what I, that's what I, that's, that's what I think. Do you want to talk about the art briefly, Andy? It's fine. It's, it's, it's good. Um, it, because I am someone who cares about anime, there, there, there's much better and more fluid animation out there in the action sequences. Uh, it's brought together by great uh, facial expressions, though. Uh, come talk to me after you watch season three about the art. I'm, I'm like oh, ready right. for your opinions. But yeah, right. I love the art of the show. And I will say this show, there are very few pop culture properties that do this to me. And I've talked about this before in relationship to Pacific Rim. But there are properties that have scenes that are just so either beautiful or weird or fantastic that just like send shivers up and down my spine. This show has managed to do it two or three times. And I can think about very specific scenes in which that has happened. The first scene is in the first season when the bishop is talking to the the demonic creatures from hell and... The one he the one that like the bigger one with like the ice blue eyes is like creeping through the darkness and has this like growly voice and says like your actions make your god puke. That scene like actually was so good that it like sent shivers up and down my spine, which I appreciated. This show also very quickly before we move into Tessa's game, which I am excited about. It features the stellar cast of among other people, Richard Armitage, James Callish, Graham McTavish, and Ale- Alexandra Reynoso, which I think they are all fantastic in this. The voice acting is just on point. Which, by the way, Graham McTavish is the saint of all killers in another Warren Ellis property. Yeah, it's true. Graham McTavish is also an outlander. Is that what you're looking up, nope. Sam? Okay. Nope. Lucifer. Oh, yeah. Also in Lucifer. He's also in Lucifer. And Richard Armitage is, of course, Red Dragon from uh, Hannibal. And Thor and Oakenshield from The Hobbit. <laughs> well, those movies never got made, Pe- remember? People people just don't realize. Uh, they're like little made, little known, little known facts. Okay, no, no, time- th- those movies never got made. Are you talking about the Bakshi cartoon? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so speaking of Richard Armitage, he plays a character, Trevor Belmont, who is a we haven't really talked about the characters in this which is unfortunate they're all wonderful but trevor belmont is a monster hunter who comes from a line of monster hunters who have been excommunicated and killed by the church he is definitely a grumpy hilarious character that never wants to be part of things but gets sucked into them anyway 
And so he reminds me of another grumpy monster hunter in a fantasy series that it does not want to be drawn into things but does anyway. Our favorite Geralt of Rivia, The Witcher. So this is my game. This is my game. I'm going to read you quotes from both Belmont and Geralt, and you have to tell me who said it. Are you ready? Andy, did Geralt or Belmont say this quote? Beware of an old man in a profession where men usually die young. Trevor. That's actually Geralt. Sam. Beware of an old man in profession where they usually die young. They both that's have too, kind of rally voices. For Killing you was the point. Living through it was just a luxury. Okay, that's Trev. Yes, that is actually Belmont. He says that to Alucard. Andy, would you please leave my testicles alone? <laughs> <laughs> that's Trevor. That is also Trevor. That is correct. Sam, damn, you're ugly. That's Geralt. Yes, he says it like 500 times yep. in the games. Yeah. So That's there you the go. Second most often said line. Yeah, it's one of it's a very very popular line. I I, I want to point out Tessa that uh, the testicle thing was a was a was a bad a, a bad question because Geralt has no testicles. No, he has testicles. He just is infertile because of the mutations. Okay, fair enough. They didn't castrate you, 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 him. You 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 know your your uh, Witcher lore, your Litcher. Don't. <laughs> Don't come at me about the Witcher. Okay. Uh, so what you're saying is it's the Litcher? It's the Litcher. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Okay. Andy, this world doesn't need a hero. It needs a professional. That is Geralt. That is Geralt. 100% Geralt. Sam, mistakes are also important to me. I don't cross them out of my life or memory, and I never blame others for them. That's tough. Tough. Again, too cerebral. It feels like Geralt. You all are doing very well so far. That is, in fact, Geralt. Andy. God, this is getting on my nerves. I wish I could fucking kill you twice. That's Trevor. Yes, and we can bleep out the part. There's multiple things to bleep out this episode. Have fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. Sam. Never thought I'd be so hungry I'd climb a shit pipe in pursuit of breakfast. (laughs) Trevor. Yes, he does say that as he's climbing through a pipe. Oh, that I saw that you one. You saw that one, yeah. Andy, nonsense. And what's more, it doesn't rhyme. All decent predictions rhyme. That's Geralt. Yep, he says that too, Dandelion. And Sam, look into my eyes. Do you really, really want to make my life any more annoying right now? Trevor. It's Trevor. Is that it? Yeah, that's Can it. Can I do one? Magical Can I do a bonus? Trevor. Andy. I have a bonus yeah. one for you. I want to play. All right. Is this Trevor or Geralt? <clears throat> that is clearly Geralt. <laughs> is Geralt more grumpy than Trevor Belmont? Yes. Yes. Is Trevor Belmont more of a sad sack than Geralt? Yes. Yes. Okay. Just just wanted to clear that up. All right, y'all. This has been Monkey Off My Backlog, Tessa's version, TV. Tune in next week. Sam continues his read-through of Wheel of Time just in time for the Amazon Prime show. It's The Great Hunt, right? That's the one you're reading right now? Yeah. All right. I'll talk about the first half of it next week. And Sam, do you want to tease what's happening in two weeks? You've had Andy assigns. You've had Tessa assigns. Two weeks from now, the special hell that is Sam's assigns. Sam assigns. 
Samicide. Samicide. Sam <laughs> two assigns. Actually, that's coming in 2022. I just want to say you better wise up because we're going clear. All right. I do not understand that reference. I'm sure I will in two you weeks. Will. All right. Andy, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me online on Twitter at Andy Noted. <laughs> is that Geralt or Trevor? Um, <laughs> that is 100% pure solid snake. <laughs> Sam, where can people find you? Okay. Geralt or Trevor? Which one is on Twitter and which one is on Reddit? <laughs> Trevor is 100% on Reddit. He's the only one to take things personally. Geralt just wants 160 characters to tell people to leave him alone. He's like, the tweets are too long now. I didn't need that many. Oh, oh God. You can... Well, call me Geralt because you can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. You can also find me on our sister podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club, where a friend of the Momble podcast, Nigel and I, read through all 41 of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. You can find that podcast on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club and on Instagram at Nanny Ogg's Book Club. Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today. I'm really curious to know what you all think about those three things I assigned, what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Visit our website at www.monkeyoffmybacklog.com. We've got lots of articles, including a review of This Is How You Lose the Time War. Andy has under 100s coming out, which I'm very excited about. I don't really know what Sam is doing. I don't either. Something. He's doing something. Maybe. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.